Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome back to another edition of Tony Katz today. He is out. I am Ethan Hatcher from Saturday Night on the Circle, stepping in with my co-host, Tony Kinnett. Together, we are performing host duties. Thanks for tuning in. we got a lot to cover on the show this afternoon, including crazy stuff going on here in the state of Indiana with our legislators, threats being made to a congressman, as well as a state representative who's having personal problems to the extreme degree, to borrow a quote from uh, our governor. Thanks for listening. So uh, where shall we begin, Tony? Uh, Jim Lucas? Oh, yeah, we got to start with Jim Lucas. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, because this is this is wild to me. It's so much worse than initially it appeared. I mean, and it was already bad because he there were reports he'd crashed into a guardrail. He was driving the wrong way on uh, the interstate. But now, now, according to the crash report, we found out that he also had completely driven off the on-ramp to uh, uh, State Road 11. He had uh, crashed through the highway on two barriers on Interstate 65, turned around, and then on three flat tires drove nearly three miles to park behind a carpet business. And then the comments he made to state police are also incredible. He's saying, oh, I, I tried to swerve and, you know, and uh, 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 miss a deer. I didn't want to park in front of the carpet business because I didn't want to leave an oil slick. This is not a good look for Representative Jim Lucas, to no, say the least. I, well, first of all, it's not, it's not actually, I'm going to take the bold stance here, that it's not actually about how it looks. It's not actually about how it's perceived. It's, right. I don't think this yep. is a kind of situation in which we can say, well, the optics of this situation just don't <laughs> look that flattering. Look, I have a very low tolerance for drunk driving as it is. I don't. I've lost several of my students to in incidents in which they were killed by drunk drivers. Bingo. And I am also of the opinion that if you are elected to a position in the Indiana government or the federal government or anywhere else originally the idea was even though we haven't followed that for centuries that you are supposed to be the best that we can offer you are supposed to be the leader servant in your community and I just don't think that if you get drunk and get out and drive and put a lot of people in danger uh, thank God that that he did not end up in a situation in which some of his constituents were on the other end of that and killed Yes. Like so many drunk driving incidents that occur. I occurred. think that's the most pertinent part here because he didn't just lose control. He severely lost control driving across many miles. And that there was an enormous potential for people to have gotten hurt, as many hundreds or thousands of Americans do each year because drunk driving is basically America's pastime. I don't know what people think are parked outside of those bars, but they're cars. <laughs> as soon as this investigation is complete, to just to go ahead and tie the bow on this one because got, this is very simple. A we've got a blood draw. Absolutely. We're waiting for the results. As soon as the blood draw comes in and police are able to confirm the results of their investigation, he should resign immediately without question. And th that's not even that's not even something that's up for debate. That's a very common sense measure. Yep. And if they don't, five minutes after he is asked and does not agree to resign, I believe that the Indiana House should censure him immediately. Immediately. Get him out of there. Once the police investigation returns that he was driving drunk, uh, I, honestly, I think Jim should already be resigning. There, there's no reason here. He himself should already have come out and said, I apologize. This was stupid. I resign. 
Uh, in addition to his resignation, po possible resignation, um, he faces at least two criminal charges, two counts of operating a vehicle while intoxicated, one count of leaving the scene of a crash. So this is a very se serious matter, not only for his career in the legislature, but, you know, for his personal life. Yeah, there should be jail time. Just yep. as if you and I were to get behind the wheel of a vehicle drunk and we were to endanger the lives of others and we were to break the law of the state of Indiana and the federal government of the United States, both of whom have jurisdiction when it comes to drunk driving, you should go to jail. There's no reason that any individual, whether Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, centrist, etc., should be above serving jail time just as individuals that I know who have OWIs and DUIs. Now, I think that the OWI law that says that your guns should be taken away for 10 years is a, a stupid law for anyone. But in this case, again, the law is the law. You broke the law. You should go to jail. You drove drunk. That's the law. Now let's talk about another uh, uh, story coming out of the state of Indiana uh, with uh, Representative Jim Banks talking about a lack of uh, self-control uh, in the part of uh, the representative and here on the part of Aaron Thompson, allegedly uh, age 34, who called the representative's office at least eight times and threatened to kill either him or his daughters. He said, you've got a choice, either you die or your daughters die, saying bang, bang. So that's not, you can't be threatening representatives. Uh, this is an incredible lack of uh, self-control, and obviously they had to uh, uh, catch up with this guy. Uh, he, he left uh, expletive-filled messages, and uh, this is unacceptable. I'm really amazed at the individuals that have conversations with police. So Representative Lucas <laughs> told police, yeah, you know, I was drunk and I parked my car here so that there wasn't oil spilled everywhere. Ah, nice to see him being environmentally conscious. And then you have this other individual tell police, well, I was sure I left the message, but I was drunk. And it's, oh, oh, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. Once you start drinking, you absolve yourself. It's like if someone says, oh, I'm sorry I did that, I was drunk. Oh, well, that makes it okay. Oh, I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, you just say whatever you want, do whatever you want, and as long as you come out at the end of it like Nancy Pelosi's husband and say, oh, I'm so sorry about that, I drank a little too much at the bottle this evening, you know what, whatever you put in your body, you're responsible for, sorry. So what we have going on in America right now is a lack of responsibility and a lack of accountability that is leading people to make severely irresponsible choices to the detriment of themselves and to others. It's insane. And we see these stories like basically on repeat 24 hours a day in the news cycle. It's exhausting. You know, I've uh, taken muscle relaxers before when I've like sprained my neck or I, I sprained uh, my ankle playing in soccer in college. And, you know, there's a couple of provisos when they assign you those very powerful medications and they say, hey, don't, don't get behind a motor vehicle. Or as we've also seen, you know, don't operate heavy machinery. Yeah. So no getting in the forklift and no getting in, you know, the backhoe and swinging it around. No getting out in the combine. And, you know, not that I'm actually getting out in the combine anywhere anyway, but just again, that's the idea that there are warning labels that come with that. I think that individuals should have access to muscle relaxers. I think that individuals should have access to alcohol or marijuana or whatever it is that they want to put inside their body, as long as it is understood. Whatever you put inside your body, you are responsible for. And the minute that you make a mistake, the fact that you are inebriated should not play into it. Play stupid games, 
win stupid prizes. Win stupid prizes. And and it also there's the issue of is the cover-up worse than the crime? Because by the evidence as stated in the probable cause, and right now all this is, of course, alleged, but it seems State Representative Lucas was attempting to cover up his actions, parking you know, the vehicle behind the carpet business, driving it through the state road, and admitting to police officers he thought he could get the vehicle home, leaving the scene of a crash, causing tens of thousands of dollars to Indiana roadways that taxpayers are now liable for. This is some pretty startling stuff. Is this something that he should be responsible for? And is this incredibly bad that he would leave the scene of an accident? Absolutely. Yep. I would also like to point out that 95% of every single person in the United States would definitely try to sneak home if they just realized <laughs> they made a large uh-oh and now they need to sneak away. Absolutely they would. This is the common nature of man, the toddler who will try to sneak away after causing a big mess. So I, I've heard individuals say, I'm surprised he would do that. I'm not. Every Republican and Democrat in this country, save a handful of people, would try to sneak away from an accident. Does it look worse? Absolutely. But again, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yeah. Uh, I also got this uh, audio clip from Corrine Jean-Pierre talking about the illegal immigrant crisis that's facing our nation and an amusing conclusion that she reached uh, discussing the busing of migrants to various states and municipalities. And of course, the Democratic government is uh, very concerned about this because it's putting undue pressure on the states. Get a load of this. I've said it many times from here, repeatedly uh, from, from this podium, that uh, busing or flying migrants uh, around the country without any coordination with the federal government, we've talked about this, uh, state or local officials as well, uh, is dangerous and unacceptable. And we'll continue to be very, very clear about that. Uh, it is dangerous and unacceptable <laughs> because you're putting people's lives at risk. Uh, and it's dangerous and, it's, and unacceptable because you're actually putting a lot of pressure on these states and local uh, and local. Uh, um, uh, local areas. Oh, that is true. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> An astute observation has led to laughter. <laughs> we are laughing. Okay, so the states that are, are these border states, they should bear the brunt uh, and responsibility for this enormous influx that's caused by lax enforcement from the federal government. It's, it's hilarious to me that she actually arrived on a salient point, which is, yes, the influx of migrants is putting an enormous strain on the the resources in the communities to which they are delivered, but she she's instead suggesting that, oh, this just needs to be managed by the federal government and will decide where the pressure is put. This is ridiculous. I want to point out a little bit about the hypocrisy of those who say that they care deeply about migrants to the point that we just need to throw open the double doors down at the border and let everyone into the country, no questions, because the only reason you would be coming is if you were leaving one of the horrible places whose policies that we also have in our administration. But we need to let them all come here so they can enjoy a better life and a better world. But then they are totally okay with basically letting those individuals languish in these sodden, just horribly overburdened and over-encumbered border states so that you basically take a group of people that were running from, uh, as they claim, all of these horrible situations, which of course there are in Central and South America, 
to abandon them to a place where they're going to be like basically disregarded into these uh, shanty shack slums in either sanctuary cities or the southern border states that can't even begin to house them. There you go, because it's the only reason we're getting a mention out of this from the press secretary is because it's not just the border states anymore. Now the sanctuary cities are getting a taste of their own medicine, and we're seeing stories out of the state of New York, out of uh, Chicago, out of the uh, the cities there, where uh, the, the resources are so overwhelmed, they're housing migrants in uh, uh, old school facilities, in gyms. There's not enough room for them in the police stations. They're having to sleep in cots outside because the the resources are stretched so incredibly thin and yet the Biden administration continues to invite more illegal migrants by the thousands. This is one of the reasons that I believe that the United States again has probable cause to basically send troops into the United States of Mexico. I do believe that Mexico is complicit in allowing migrants to move unfettered through its country and swarm into the United States, along with those hiding amongst the migrants, the individuals from cartels, from uh, child and sex trafficking situations, who are operating in a way that has caused the death of hundreds, if not thousands of U.S. citizens, as well as many Border Patrol agents at this point. And I believe, as America has done several times before, that when a nation on our borders decides to act in a manner that harms or threatens our national safety and the safety of its citizens, that it is in our best interest to say, Mexico, you got to close things down. Maybe it's time to actually put down the cartels and stop allowing your country to be an open garden hose for those who are taking advantage of migrants, hiding among them in order to traffic children across the border, as not to mention the trillions of pounds of fentanyl that are being sent everywhere from China through Nicaragua through even some parts of Brazil. It's insane. Governors like Ron DeSantis and Governor Greg Abbott and the state of Texas and other border governors are doing their best to address the issue now, but it has to be handled at the federal level and leadership has to be shown. It's going to be one of the key issues coming up in 2024. And not just those governors, but also governors like Bill Lee of Tennessee and other Republican governors around the country who have begun to mobilize their National Guards and move troops down to Texas. Over a dozen states now are sending uh, their National Guard troops, which, by the way, that is where the National Guard does belong in the power of the governor, not the federal government. And they are sending those troops down to aid this incredible chaos at the U.S. border. It is time that we started taking this seriously instead of just talking about it. And it appears that we're starting to. Thanks for listening to Tony Katz today. Ethan Hatcher and Tony Kennett filling in. Coming up next, there is a curious event being hosted uh, by Indy Pride and the Airport Association going on later today, I believe. In exactly 40 minutes. uh, We will give you details coming up. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC. Welcome back. This is Tony Katz today. I'm Ethan Hatcher. That's Tony Kinnett. Together, we're filling in so much to discuss, including this very interesting youth carnival that's being held by Indiana Youth Group in association with Indy Pride and the Indiana Airport Airport Authority. Um, It's starting today from uh, 1 to 6 p.m., so it's going on in uh, just a little over 40 minutes. Yeah, so this is a really 
wild one because it's kind of gone under the radar for a couple of years. Uh, so the Indiana Youth Group, which is an LGBTQ organization that operates something called Project Prism, in which they will take uh, children who identify as LGBTQ and they'll say, well, we really don't like our parents. They don't support us. There's actually no evidence that the kid needs to give that says like, oh, here's how they're mean to me because I said that I'm LGBTQIA, two-spirit, plus whatever. And then the Indiana Youth Group will give that child money and move them to an apartment complex where they're, you know, unsupervised and get to live around other LGBTQ teenagers unsupervised. These are minors. Correct. They are minors, you know, somewhere between, uh, from what I have heard from individuals who have been in contact with Project Prism between 14 and 17 years old. Where are the parents here? Oh, they are being, uh, so this project that the Indiana Youth Group runs, uh, they, they are in charge of pulling kids out from their homes. So this organization but is how running. Does that, how does that work? You can't just take somebody from their parents. Well, I, there's there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into Project Prism that says, you know, oh, you suspect abuse, you kind of run away from home and that kind of a thing. And the Indiana Youth Group through Project Prism tries to help facilitate kids getting out of uh, their parents' homes. That group is running today a an event for only 12 through 20-year-olds. They claim that it's a youth carnival. This is at the Indiana Youth Group headquarters in Indianapolis. Yeah, isn't that weird? 12 to 20, because I don't think 20-year-olds is part of the youth, at least not part of 12-year-old youth. <laughs> so I asked the Indiana Youth Group about this, and they told me, one of the representatives told me that, that most uh, American surveys consider 18 to 24-year-olds part of the youth. And my question to that is, okay, so wait a minute. So if you've got like some 20-year-old dating like a 15-year-old, uh -huh. that's just both youth to you, dear yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. There was an individual who came and spoke at the uh, Pendleton School Board meeting over the Kathy McCord situations who was a member uh, of this organization, or at least had worked with them in the past, that said that he was dating a high schooler at the moment. He was in college. And I just, again, a lot of weird stuff going on. But this organization today is hosting from, I think it's actually one to seven, uh, with the Indianapolis Airport Authority sponsoring it, this youth carnival. And this youth carnival is going to have drag queens for the kids to meet, and no parents are allowed. There we go. That that's the part that I was going to bring in because no we haven't mentioned that parents allowed. Yet. In fact, there's some uh, some LGBTQ affiliate church that they they're shuffling the parents into uh, offsite. The parents are allowed to go that to. You're giving you're putting an event with your 12 year olds and 20 year old strangers where parents aren't allowed. Look, I believe in freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of association, and the right of individuals to hold events, even you know similar to this, um, if they so choose and choose to participate in them. But the part that really made me made me raise my eyebrows was when they said no parents allowed and they're shuffling them off to a Lutheran church, which I also want to get your perspective on, because although I'm an atheist, I know you are a devout Christian. I, I believe you said you were a Baptist. And I, I wanted your take on this because it's Christian Christian event, so it must be unobjectionable, right? So that's kind of the wild thing here. This Lutheran <laughs> church receives a lot of scorn from a lot, and the, uh, the, there are different Lutheran like synods and, and congresses that are kind of regional affiliates of different Lutheran churches. And uh, this one has received a lot of scorn because apparently this church j basically just cherry picks whatever it wants to believe and <laughs> is basically just a social club for those who want to look like they're going to church but not actually believe anything. Now, this does bring up an interesting point because the counterpoint that I've received from one individual working at the Indianapolis Star, which we'll be talking about later, uh, as well as a few others on the left have said, well, parents drop their kids off at vacation Bible school summer programs, and they send their kids to church camp all the time. Parents aren't allowed to go yeah, to that, are they? I, I thought that was an interesting thing to bring up because there were some stuff that happened at those camps that, that, that well, you know, molestation. That, that 
<laughs> was terrible. That's why you need adult supervision. We stopped kind of doing those things because of the risk that it potentially poses to children. So that's something yeah. I want to make up that's, that I want to bring up that's incredible. It should be incredibly clear. Every single church of EBS program that I know of allows parents to come. I do. That, that allows parents to watch and observe. Uh, mm -hmm. Our, our uh, church that I grew up with in Newcastle does so. And they, they make sure that parents know they are welcome at any time to see their kid, to watch their kid interact so that there's no shenanigans going on. Right. Also, there's a church camp in southern Indiana called Hoosier Hills that has the same policy. Parents can come with their kids for the week. I No parents allowed? I'm sorry. I'm it, That's creepy beyond all belief. We got to keep talking about this because that's not the only thing going on. Uh, there was also an event that happened in Reading, Pennsylvania, and we'll kind of tie that into the conversation. So stay tuned to Con Tony Katz today. More coming up next. This is Tony Katz today. I'm Ethan Hatcher. That's Tony Kinnett. Producer AJ beep, 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 pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. Thanks for listening. We had just been discussing this LGBT Pride event, a youth carnival that's being held and put on by the Indiana Youth Group in association with Indy Pride and the Indiana Airport Authority. Now, I do want to bring this up because it's really funny. So I reached out to the Indianapolis Airport Authority, okay. you know, the Indianapolis International Airport. Mm -hmm. And I reached out and said, hey, why are you the only one sponsoring this event? Because in the advertisements, Indiana Youth Group is like, the airport is sponsoring this, and it's this big celebration. And I reached out, and the Indiana Airport Authority kind of got Target and Anheuser-Busch kind of fever. And they messaged back, and they're like, whoa, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on a second here. We're not, we're not the only sponsor. We're like one wait, of many sponsors wait, of this, this event. No take backsies. No, no you were sponsoring a No Parents Allowed event yeah. for kids who identify as LGBTQIA2+, whatever, ages 12 to 20. No parents allowed to go and meet drag queens and, and some kind of, uh, like, I guess some kind of talent show that I'm told by previous attendees in previous years has had some awkwardly sexual stuff going on. So, so. With your 12-year-olds, Maybe. Though, what? Maybe. Uh, don't sponsor events like this. That's happening at 1 p.m. at the uh, Indiana Youth Group headquarters here in Indianapolis. And uh, it is, it, it's, it's some, oh, and by the way, the activity center that they're hosting said is nicknamed the pit. So send your 12 through 20 year olds to the pit without parental That's... supervision to meet drag queens. Okay. Here we are. Right. It's 2023. So Moms for Liberty founder Tiffany Justice, uh, the, the, the group champions parents' rights, called this provision uh, a red flag, the fact that no parents are allowed. Why would parents send their kids anywhere they aren't welcome? That's the key takeaway yep. here. That's if, the key takeaway. If the organization what, the says, hey, look, you're a parent, come in, you know, walk uh -huh. around with them, whatever, that's great. You just need to be with your kids so we can ensure that you're not just some random adult, that you and the kid agree that is your kid, you know, you are their parent walk around with them that I would I would be much less you know I would care a lot less about this event in its entirety and by the way like we said before the break a lot of churches have that policy with VBS yeah parents you want to come see what's going on while your kids here 
absolutely, we would love to have you here. And there's an important reason for that because of the history that some religious institutions have had with sexual abuse against children. So that's why transparency. This is this is the thing. Transparency is paramount. And and so I'm really glad that you. I'm glad that you brought this up because a lot of individuals on the left, so specifically Amy Neeling, she runs this uh, Indiana Progressive account. She's a failed House candidate. Got absolutely thwomped by Tony Cook in the last election. Uh, she has said repeatedly, you know, I don't want to hear about any incidents about uh, LGBTQ molestation until we start talking about uh, pastors and priests that are caught. And she'll also say that the right doesn't care about in, like when pastors or priests molest children, which is amazing because the very first individuals who are ready to say, hang the dude in the town square you know, put him in front of a firing squad, no matter where he comes from, is the right. Whenever there's a case of sexual molestation, whenever there's a case of rape, every person that I've ever seen on the right says this individual should be six feet underground as quickly as possible. I'm just saying that that is the number one thing that I see from all of the gun loving Indiana Republicans is that whenever there's a case of because rape, they're the first the one to call for the guy to be tarred and feathered because the people who commit that crime are ruining the life of a child in a way that cannot be repaired and it's forever impacted like well, it they, flares you up a little bit yep. I, i'm, I'm a Absolutely. parent now and i it, it, the idea that that crime would be committed at all this is why the the governor so i think governor DeSantis in florida also uh signed into law um harsher measures against those who commit the act of child molestation and that includes the death penalty and there are individuals in the new york times and the washington post and the atlantic and vogue saying this is horrible how how could we possibly allow death sentence look i said the death sentence is perfectly acceptable for those who rape a child period uh, there's no room for debate on that I, in any way shape or form now, there was another issue I wanted to discuss in this segment because this kind of floored me. Uh, it was an LGBTQ pride event that was held in Reading, Pennsylvania, the first one uh, where, that was also endorsed by mayor, uh, the mayor of the city, Eddie Moran. Um, it was a pride march and rally in which there was a protester standing across the street exercising his First Amendment rights. So wait, let me let me clarify. So you have a pride parade going Correct. on at this this town in Pennsylvania. Yes. And there is a dude, one dude, who is standing on the other side there of the street. Couple, there were a couple of guys oh, there. A couple of like people. Three. A couple no, it of was, dudes. It was not a large crowd. Right. Standing on the sidewalk on the other side of the street, and this guy's holding up a sign that says, God hates sin. Yep. So that's, that's what's going on here. Okay, tell me what happens next. Uh, he, uh, officer approached him, uh, uh, who it, it was part of the, uh, the rally that was, uh, uh, Sergeant Bradley T. McClure. So wait a minute. The, McClure is approaching this guy who's not threatening the crowd. Nope. He's just holding this sign. He is holding the sign and quoting Bible passages. Okay. And he asks him to stop. He says that, uh, he should respect the event and let them have their day. And then he stepped away, and moments later, he turned back around, and before the guy could even get the next sentence out, he had this man in handcuffs. That was uh, uh, Matthew uh, Matthew Weir. So an individual for peacefully protesting— oh, sorry, it was Damon Atkins. The footage was captured by Matthew Weir. Got you. So this Atkins guy is arrested for standing on a street— and saying that he doesn't agree with the parade in front of him, I not making any threats, not doing any kind no. of 
crazy nonsense, not throwing not, beer bottles. He's standing across the street. He is merely exercising his First Amendment rights on public property oh, on well, a public he, sidewalk. He clearly doesn't have First Amendment rights clearly because the police not. officer came up to him and said, you need to be respectful and let them have their day. Which, by the way, uh, I just released a story yesterday about a teacher who was canned for the exact same kind of stuff in California. I guess the First Amendment, you know, and, we got out the pink eraser and wiped it away. It's gone. And look, I agree, actually with the sentiments of the officer yeah I think you know just be cool uh, let them have their day do their thing I, I think there are better exercises of your time but that said it's still your right to do it you can't be prevented by an officer much less handcuffed this isn't the United Kingdom I don't agree with that sentiment I don't know where any police officer gets off being allowed to come up and tell you how you need to act in any way shape or form there is never a situation in which an, a representative of the state who holds authority in the state, jurisdiction over your residence to say, you need to act this way. This is how you should be acting. Oh, he doesn't have the right to enforce it. I, I think that uh, actually what's what's transpired here is likely going to open up the police department for several civil rights violations and lawsuits to come because this is completely improper. Uh, not only is it improper, it is the very antithesis of the United States. There, there's a there's a very interesting play that I, I remember watching when I was in college, and it's a, a true historical account in which a a young lady who was a Jew represented a an American neo-Nazi in court. And she told the individual, I hate everything that you stand for. I hate everything that you believe. It is evil. It is wrong, whatever. But I will defend to the death your right to say it. And she represented him in this First Amendment trial. And I think that in and of itself, no matter what anyone is saying, period, as long as they are not threatening uh, assault or battery on your person, they should be allowed to say it. And public well, look opinion. Look at the Westboro Baptist Church. If they can protest uh, soldiers' funerals mm -hmm. on public property standing on a sidewalk, then I think that this man is clearly in the clear uh, to be doing the same thing, expressing his values. And it's certainly not going to bring down the tension that's existing right Ew. now in this country between individuals. We'll talk about this in a little bit here. Uh, this It's just an incredible move by well, this officer. Well, it's infected every level of society, uh, this woke posturing to appease a small segment of the population, including the military. Uh, now, uh, Mark Milley, he was appearing on CNN, and he's pushing back against this idea that there is wokery inside of the military. In congressional hearings, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs has repeatedly defended the department against accusations of being too woke, an issue he says is exaggerated. We're about fighting and winning on battlefields, uh, and we're all about readiness. Uh, we're all about readiness now and readiness in the future and modernization. I think the accusations of Woke are, are, are grossly over-exaggerated. You sit on a throne of lies. It's untrue. We've notice, notice he said grossly over-exaggerated. Uh -huh. He didn't say that they're false. Because, uh -huh. I mean, if you talk to any serviceman or woman, if you talk to any soldier, if you talk to any Marine, any airman, any seaman, and you ask them what they had to go through in boot and listen to all of the nonsense that officer who cares, some butter bar comes in and lectures them on why they need to be more inclusive in their sex toy preferences. Yeah, that's winning battlefields, is it? Yeah. Really? I'm, I'm glad you picked up on the way he couched and phrased that by saying they're exaggerated and not untrue, but we'll let you decide because this was a recruitment ad. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, it was published a few years ago. I believe it was in 2021. Right. Part of the military recruitment program program called Emma the Calling and this is just a small snippet. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, 
played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. Yas, queen, yas. <laughs> when I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. Okay, and it goes on yes. from there. Oh, just the stunning bravery and the braving stunnery you is just go, stellar. Girl. Oh, gosh. Because that's really what matters on the battlefield. Imagine sitting in a foxhole while mortar, mortar rounds are crumping all around you, and the person next to you is like, I ever told you this story about how my my one of my two moms drew on our pride, and, and I went to UC Davis, and it's like, just hand me a magazine, please. Well, I, I, I mean, shut up. The, 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 the takeaway that I had from that is there is a shocking lack of military in the military recruitment ad. They go on and on about this woman's personal background that has nothing to do with being a part of the military or accomplishing the military's goals to break stuff and shoot things. And by the way, this is the problem that we've already seen worked out. Individuals say, oh, you're overreacting. What's the problem with, with uh, LGBTQ plus in the military? Well, the, the, the issue is not the fact that someone has different sexual preferences at all. The issue Anybody is what the Anybody that wants to defend focus, their country should be allowed to. The issue is that the focus, anyone who is able-bodied and able-minded should be allowed to, uh, the issue is that the focus of what we are doing is no longer on being the strongest and most competent military. Case in point, Portland, Oregon. Case in point, Minneapolis. So the police are acting too much like police. Oh, these police are are, are going into communities and they're showing off the strong persona of, of upholding the law. What we need is social workers. You think that won't cross over to the military? When are we going to start like replacing the United States military with our <laughs> diplomatic corps? Because that's where it's going. Oh, we really we shouldn't carry rifles. We should carry bullhorns and pride messages. Because if that mean country, uh, this is the same crowd that thinks that like we can like just uh, that that Putin is evil and we can just wipe them away in a second, which we can. Our military is phenomenal, but yet they're the ones wanting to erode that military that could kick Putin in the face with all of our special feelings and just pride sensationalism. It's going to well, be wonderful. If you replace bullets with pillows, maybe there would be fewer uh, casualties, at least on the enemy side. Yeah, it, it's like, a, it, again, it's like reverse, <laughs> it's like the reverse arms race. Who can replace the gun with the uterus quicker? Gee, I can't wait. Uh, thanks for listening to Tony Katz today. I'm Ethan Hatcher. That's Tony Kinnett. Together we're filling in, having a fun time. Coming up next, wanted to get into some audio. Uh, Suzanne Crouch, of course, has announced she's running for governor, doing some posturing, as is the Indy Star, a rather impotent protest. We'll tell you more coming up next. Good afternoon and welcome back. I'm Tony Kennett. Uh, joining me today is Ethan Hatcher. And we're coming to you here on Tony Katz today. That's right. The other Tony's taking things for just a hot second. Ethan's making sure that 
Katz doesn't kick in the door and throw us off the air immediately. <laughs> and you may be out there working today at Draper over in Spiceland. You may be in, in Honda. You may be working over at Nestle. You might even be in a sprayer out in a Indiana's farms trying to salvage the absolute abysmal state of our crops with no rain. And you may be thinking, hey, it's time to hear a little bit of local stuff. Because, look, is the rest of the country burning down? Absolutely. Is Canada on fire sending its smoke into the U.S.? Absolutely. But we have enough chaos in our own great state of Indiana to go on. And before the show, Ethan and I were actually talking a little bit about the Indiana gubernatorial race, which isn't really heating up as much as it is uh, comical. Uh, Ethan, I think you've got a little bit of a clip because uh, things are just getting interesting. Yeah, Suzanne Crouch, silent Suzanne. She is letting you know that uh, she is not going to let Indiana slip into the likes of California and uh, changing uh, the heart and soul of America is a one state at a time issue. The battle for the heart and soul of America will not be won or lost in Washington, D.C. with the constant bickering and the inability to get anything done. The heart and soul of America will be won state by state. It is crazy. We say to give a woman, woman power is like to give a gun to a monkey. <laughs> we have stopped doing that ever since the 1999 Astana Zoo massacre. Old silent Suzanne up to her usual tricks had nothing to say to the governor when he was shutting down the state, when he was threatening to arrest Hoosiers, when he was calling them a human Petri dish, when he was having a, a, a meeting with Malik Muhammad. Uh, 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 I mean... From the top to the bottom, you know, not standing up for Hoosiers' rights. But now she is going to battle for the heart and soul of America. Completely disingenuous and not worthy of your consideration. Every Hoosier out there knows that the lieutenant governor has had one role and one role alone since our state was founded in 1816. And that is you were to do kind of the back room, uh, not in the front kind of dealings for the governor. And Suzanne Crouch has done that consistently. She simps very heavily for corporations, any organization that has these kind of restrictions that wants services in exchange for subsidies that is what she has done she backed holcomb in every way shape and form no she's not out here to fight any kind of battles for us where's she been over the last couple of years i haven't seen her doing any battling on behalf of hoosiers she hasn't gone after all of the woke nonsense she sat idly by Speaking of battling the woke nonsense, I wanted to end with a clip from Ron DeSantis because he is saying that as president, he is going to fight that battle uh, for the heart and soul of America that Suzanne was talking about by standing up to the woke agenda. Here's the clip. As president, I recognize that the woke mind virus represents a war on the truth. So we will wage a war on the woke. We will fight the woke in education. We will fight the woke in the corporations. We will fight the woke in the halls of Congress. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. We will make woke ideology leave it to the dustbin of history it's gone the man quoting the man quoting in winston churchill is fantastic fight them on the beaches uh, i absolutely <laughs> love it and he's right this is what more and more americans are concerned about because it's affecting them and their communities and their schools when they're watching things on tv let's go that's a message i can support for 2024 the battle for the primaries is underway and we'll be covering every moment here on 93 WIBC. Stay tuned to Tony Katz today.
Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of Tony Katz today. I am the other Tony. Tony Katz is out today. I'm Tony Kennett, joined by Ethan Hatcher. And uh, we know that you're tuning in today amidst the haze, amidst the lovely rolling smokes coming down from the Quebec forest fires. Uh, be safe if you're outside today, especially uh, if you're a, a, a pregnant lady uh, or a one with a small child. Uh, be careful. That can be really harmful uh, to those out there in the air. The index in Indianapolis and even all the way down to Bloomington is just looking a bit rough. So be safe out there. We're joined on the phone today. Uh, by Tyler O'Neill, the managing editor of The Daily Signal, as well as author of Making Hate Pay, because, Ethan, I don't know if you've heard about this, the Southern Poverty Law Center, oh boy. which categorizes groups like the Family Research Council and uh, Campus College Ministries, which is a, a Christian college ministry organization, on the same level as organizations like KKK chapters. Yeah. yeah they yeah. have finally decided uh, to go after parents' rights groups. Tyler, you're on the phone. How you doing, man? Hey, doing well. And uh, unfortunately, you know, seeing all this smog out here in D.C. too. So speaking of useless smog, tell us a little bit about what uh, the SPLC has attempted to do with parent groups in the United States. Yeah, so they've done exactly as you noted what they did to the Family Research Council, what they did to Alliance Defending Freedom. Of course, they're they're trying to be a little slimy about it. So they put they put these parental rights groups, you know, like Moms for Liberty and Parents Defending Education on a map with chapters of the Ku Klux Klan. And then they suggest you know, they love they love to do this little this little slimy thing where they're saying, oh, no, we're not really saying they're like Klan groups. Um, so they've long branded conservatives hate groups, putting them on the map and using, of course, the project, the intelligence project that they launched to monitor the Klan uh, to attack these groups. But now they've they've created a new designation. They're saying, you know, these are anti-government extremists. Ooh, anti-government extremists. So, so <laughs> yeah, like along with thing. what, like the Proud Boys and like these obscure militias or something like that. Yes, exactly. Libertarians. Oh, yeah. so, uh, on the list, if you go through, you know, the the anti-government classification includes Moms for Liberty and Parents Defending Education, and it includes. The three percenters, and it includes like all these, all these more obscure, like more actually questionable right-ish groups that you know mainstream conservatives kind of look askance at. Uh, but then they also put there all the all the groups of moms and dads who are really ticked to see, you know, were ticked to see schools forcing their kids to be muzzled with these masks and closing schools far longer than ever made sense in the COVID pandemic. But then also, you know, pushing drag queen story hour and these pornographic books in class, in, um, in school libraries. And then of course, the thing that, that makes me the maddest, mad as all hell about everything is this idea of these, these teachers and counselors encouraging kids that they can have a gender transition, keep it secret from their parents, and get these, you know, euphemistically called puberty blockers. These are, you know, these are chemical castration drugs um, without parental consent. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, it's blood-boiling, and yet 
you know, naturally the SPLC is saying, oh, the far right is attacking schools. I'm like, um, yeah, it's like you've been living under a rock for the past four years. And that's what's really amazing. We're on here with Tyler O'Neill. He's the managing editor at The Daily Signal and also the author of Making Hate Pay with an extensive investigation on the Southern Poverty Law Center, labeling a lot of parent right groups such as Moms for Liberty, Parents Defending Education, Purple for Parents, Indiana, etc., as hate groups on par with the KKK. You know, they've been very open about their disdain for these parental rights groups. Uh, which, by the way, have uh, a membership uh, that's rather diverse, especially when we're talking uh, racially. A lot of uh, Hispanic mothers, a lot of black mothers have joined these organizations, a lot of Asian mothers as well. And however, that's not how the SPLC you know, really decides to categorize these organizations. Um, Maya Henson Carey uh, from the SPLC, according to your article, uh, she said that these parental rights advocates were called the Uptown Clans of white Southerners trying to maintain segregation after Brown v. Board. I mean, my good, I mean, doesn't that start to err on the side of defamation at this point? Oh, yes. I mean, the SPLC has long erred on the side of defamation. And thank, thank God, you know, they're in court right now in a defamation lawsuit that finally made it to discovery. But on this particular issue, uh, the idea, you, you know, and, and I live in Virginia, where, you know, Governor Yunkin had an official who I, I believe you had this story for us at the Daily Signal, um, where, you know, this this Indian American official was attacked by the left because she supported parental rights. And it's like, OK, where where are you getting off on this idea? And, you know, it's it's not just that one article either. Susan Cork who's the head of the intelligence project at the SPLC, head of all the hate group accusation stuff, she said that this is rooted in white supremacy. Of course it is. Oh, of course. It's everything's rooted in white supremacy. Didn't you know that, Tyler? When you woke up and had breakfast cereal this morning, that was grown with the roots of white supremacy. How are you going to compare parents to white supremacists? Where do you get off on the, labeling them as hate groups and putting them on the same map with Klan members? It's really galling to see the way the organization dilutes its own credibility with their stated purpose of trying to, you know, identify hate. But then, you know, the hate is just parents exercising their rights with their own children. Well, that's... that's that's really Puzzling. just the catch here because Tiffany Justice and uh, Tina Deskovich, uh, founders of Moms for Liberty, responded with this. They said, that's our, funda our fundamental goal, which began just two years ago when teachers unions locked students out of schools during the pandemic, is to empower parents. They don't say empower white parents. They say to empower parents. Everyone. Empowering parents continues to be our mission today, and it's fueled our organization's growth, and they are now active with chapters in over 45 states. Again, none of their national policy, which I've poured over extensively, once talks about uh, empowering any kind of economic class or empowering any kind of group. I mean, they had an American Dream conference February of last year honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King in which uh, individuals like uh, Carol Swain and uh, Dr. Ben Carson were the keynote speakers. I, I don't know, I guess inviting uh, black speakers to host an event of American empowerment, that's white supremacy these days. Racist. Well, haven't you, haven't you heard that Ben Carson uh, is an extremist, uh, courtesy of the SPLC? <laughs> he, he believes in this, this outdated notion that marriage is between one man and one woman. 
Uh, you might have heard of it. It's kind of the root of all terrorism in the United States today, right? Well, of course, you know, our, our President Biden, as well as President Barack Obama, believed in those, at least in the public eye, all up until about five minutes ago in 2008, interviews in 2009, 10, and 11. So amazing how quickly that's become uh, the direct comparison to Adolf Hitler's ghost himself. Yeah. No, and I mean, thank, thankfully, the SPLC rescinded its attack on Ben Carson, uh, which which was interesting because, you know, they haven't rescinded the attacks on FRC, even though there was a, you know, an attempted mass shooting at FRC. Um, but, yeah, it's um, – anyway, that, that's where the SPLC gets off. I think they've, they've been covering these groups uh, for a while, watching them push back on the porn in school libraries and on uh, – on the the transgender insanity that's being pushed at schools these days, and the um, the SPLC just thinks, oh well, clearly they oppose our leftist positions, and therefore they must be part of the oppressive nexus of racism, ageism, classism, you know, you you name it, it's some form of oppression. Right. Well, your investigation on the SPLC is drawn the attention of quite a few people. Of course, Senator uh, Katie Boyd Britt from Alabama, as well as Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, not, of course, to forget uh, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, as well as many others, Chris Rufo included, Larry Elder. A lot of individuals are really starting to tire of the SPLC. Tyler, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tony. Up next, we are going to be talking about some of the wild nonsense concerning the FBI uh, refusing to hand over unclassified records to the uh, custody of the House Oversight Committee. We're going to be talking a little bit about some disgraced former FBI directors. Mm -hmm. You are not going to want to miss it. It's time for some Alphabet Soup. You are listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm Ethan Hatcher, joined by Tony Kinnitz. Together we're filling in producer AJ on the board. And we're talking this segment about the ongoing unfolding saga of the Biden crime family. And though contempt of Congress hearings against the FBI uh, will commence starting tomorrow, don't expect this really ultimately to go anywhere. That's hey, most- hey, wait a minute, though. Remember just like, you know, 38 <laughs> seconds ago when when Trump wasn't turning over like Melania's underwear drawer to the FBI and everyone's saying, well, if you don't have anything to hide, why aren't you just turning it over? Open the boxes, open the lockers. Let's see what's inside. And now that we found out the former vice president, Mike Pence, uh, Biden, Joe Biden, both as vice president and senator, had classified documents as others did. And yet I Trump's- kept it in the garage under the Corvette. It, it really works as a spare tire. <laughs> Uh, And yet Trump's the only one uh, under threat of indictment, according to recent reports. But um, there is uh, uh, information, according to insiders, that's been uh, reported to Congress and Chairman James Comer indicating the existence of a Biden document in the FBI that uh, potentially corroborates uh, their illicit activities, money laundering, bribery, no, et cetera. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because Allegedly. While, while I love listening to you explain things, you explain things in a very high academic fashion that uses a lot of fantastic <laughs> uppity words. So I'm going to break this down into the, the, the low Hoosier Hick speak that I grew up well, in. you're a teacher. You have the ability to do that quite well. The FBI owns a document. It owns a series of records which theoretically confirm 
that the Biden family was engaged not in a single event of bribery, but years and yep. years, a pattern of bribery. By the way, when the FBI uses the words pattern, this means that they have several point-by-point point instances in which FBI agents, informants, and analysts can confirm via metric data, that means evidence right you can hold in your hands, that a crime took place for a pattern to be mentioned by the FBI or, or Congress. This is a string of events. This could be the largest political scandal concerning, concerning a vice president of the United States since one shot Alexander Hamilton. That was the way James Comer phrased it, this pattern of money laundering that allegedly could be validated by this internal FBI document. Here's the clip. Could they end up showing more Biden family business dealings with other countries? This document was dated, I think you all know this, from the subpoena on July 30th, 2020. The claims made in the document are consistent with what we found and disclosed to you all in Romania. It suggests a pattern of bribery. There it is. Where payments would be made through shell accounts and multiple banks. And there's a term for that. It's called money laundering. And that, again, is what the, the majority of the suspicious activity reports also said. Pattern of criminal abuse. Hey, you want to hear something cool? Yeah. There are a lot of Democrat analysts on the lower end on the state side of things that made uh, a few criticisms about why President Biden would openly tell people when he was asked about Hunter and his business dealings that he loved his son very much, that he was very close to him, that they continued to talk. And there's a reason that the president did that. It was not a huge political blunder that a lot of people think it is. Here's why. When it comes out that President Biden has had decades of very long, intricate communications with his son over various forms of communications via text, email, phone calls. The president wants to be able to hide behind care for his crack-ridden son. Not the obvious answer, which is that the vice president, now president of the United States, utilized his son's business dealings in Eastern Europe to launder potentially millions, if not tens of millions of dollars, which directly hurt the security of the United States by using everything from quid pro quo to overt blackmailing in financial dealings. And the American people have the right to see the information contained within, allegedly contained within this FBI document that they're refusing to hand over con to Congress. And now Congress will be holding uh, uh, hearings on contempt against the FBI because their refusal to disclose this document. FBI officials confirm that the unclassified FBI generated record has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation. There it is. The confidential human source who provided information about then Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. Did you catch that? These are facts and no amount of spin and frankly lies from the White House or congressional Democrats can change this information. Did you catch At the that? briefing, the FBI... What do you say? 
there is an ongoing FBI investigation, a separate FBI investigation, not at all tied to the president, in which the FBI, in the courts of the federal judicial system of the United States of America, has already verified this unclassified document as real and trustworthy. Therefore, the Biden administration can't call this a fake document without, here's the best part, putting themselves in contempt of the federal justice system by interfering with an investigation of the FBI. That's right, folks. That means that if Karine Jean-Pierre gets up and says that that document is false and is not real, she will have made herself an accessory to the obstruction of justice and a federal investigation that isn't even tied to the Biden administration. 10 out of 10. Well done. And like James Comer said, um, there's this pattern of criminal activity that's indicated by, uh, by the document. Um, and now they're going to be holding contempt of Congress hearings because the FBI is refusing to turn over and corroborate or help corroborate that information that the, the Congress is seeking. Ooh, it's unclassified, but we really don't want to reveal too much. After all, there could be riots. I, I, excuse me. There could be peaceful they pay, protests. They paid this guy tens of thousands of dollars. He's been a, uh, a confidential informant for more than a decade. Where's the where's the lock him up crowd? The, the ones that, that said that Trump was guilty of treason and needed to be locked up and sent to Guantanamo Bay. Where's that crew? And now we've got information, uh, f- according to FBI insiders, uh, in addition to this, uh, that they have been mishandling information regarding uh, the Hunter Biden investigation. The FBI mishandling investigations? <laughs> what? Oh, say it ain't so, At Mildred. At the same time, you have J- uh, 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 former uh, FBI director James Comey saying that he supports Joe Biden and he's the only logical choice. So hmm, here you have insiders saying that the FBI is mishandling information surrounding uh, uh, the president's son. And then you also have a former FBI director saying that he supports his presidential uh, nomination or bid. You were a Republican most of your life, uh, but voted for and you may still consider yourself one, but voted for Biden in 2020. Do you intend to vote for him again or is there anyone on the Republican side you might consider if it's not Trump? It has to be Joe Biden. And and I'm glad he's willing to serve. It has to be somebody committed to the rule of law, committed to the values of this country. And I'm not talking about policy. People can disagree about policy. There are things above those disagreements that all of us should think about the same way. The president must be someone who abides the law and our Constitution. And there's no one else but Joe Biden. (laughs) You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. is incredible. I, again, when you have individuals that say they don't trust the FBI, that the institutional trust is completely withered in the last couple of years, there is yet another brick on the pile to suggest why they shouldn't trust the FBI. The FBI who won't investigate organizations that are vandalizing and burning down pregnancy centers, the organization that uh, now is is basically an accessory to bribery in some aspects to the vice president now the president he's got he's got to realize that by making these statements even though he's the former director of the fbi it gives the organization the organization the appearance of impropriety and partisanship right because a lot of these crimes took place while he was the director of the fbi so making these comments with jen Psaki is very imprudent but it does reveal the nature of the fbi and why this uh document certainly merits a second look by the uh, Congressional Committee because the American people have the right to know if their president was involved with a pattern 
of bribery and money laundering. Thanks for listening to Tony Katz today. I'm Ethan Hatcher. That's Tony Kennett. We're filling in and stay tuned for more.